Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Albert Einstein developed the theory of relativity, which alongside quantum mechanics is one of the two pillars of modern physics. His work is also known for its influence on the philosophy of science, and he received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for, quote, his services to theoretical physics, and especially for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect, a pivotal step in the development of quantum mechanics. But even the greatest minds can get some things wrong, and Einstein's two mistakes beyond science is the subject and title of a recent article by Francois Venucci, professor emeritus, researcher in particle physics, and specialist in neutrinos at the University of Paris. Bienvenue. Hello. Welcome to our Hello, show. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Einstein published more than 300 scientific papers and, and more than 150 non-scientific works. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that he made a few mistakes along the way. How serious were the mistakes that you are writing about? Um, well, uh, first of all, I would like to say you uh, forward. Um, the, the, the title seems a little bit provocative. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, Einstein's mistakes, of, of usually it does not go together. Um, but, you know, uh, I did it because uh, in, in our society, the medias are so powerful that you have to be a little provocative. And I suppose that with a, a, a more gentle title, I wouldn't be here. Uh, the, the other thing that would like to uh, clarify is the word mistake. Mistake is not, doesn't have a pejorative connotation in my mind. Um, in fundamental research, mistakes are quite commonplace and quite normal. Uh, here, I, I, I can uh, try to summarize a little bit what is fundamental research. You know, in uh, human activities, uh, you usually are guided towards a goal, well-defined goal. And for instance, it's the case in applied research. In applied research, uh, you want to develop a, a smarter smartphone or whatever. But fundamental research is quite different in the sense that you don't know where to go. Uh, you don't know wha what you would find at the end of your experiment. And uh, in fact, progress goes not along a straight line, but along a, a Brownian uh, motion namely randomly. Now, obviously, you can say, and we will discuss random, quantum randomness, obviously, uh, but uh, what does this mean, random, in that case? It's the fact that we cannot predict what we will find. Uh, but randomness, it's for us, it's an apparent randomness. For nature, obviously, the, the laws of nature are what they are, and, uh, uh, but we don't know what they are. Uh, in advance. So mistake is quite natural. And uh, I'm sure Einstein himself did many more mistakes than uh, the two I, uh, I, I tried to, uh, to analyze. And if I try to analyze this is that because I think they relate to some very respectable prejudices which come from uh, Greek philosophy. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, obviously, his uh, most famous uh, 
equation, uh, the world's most famous equation, E equals MC squared, still is held up. But what's necessary for a theory that has been formulated in mathematical language to be validated? Oh, what's necessary is to do experiments. So what, what is fundamental research? You, you observe a few phenomena in, in the nature. You try to conceptualize a law behind these phenomena. And uh, uh, then you validate the, this model or, the, or this theory by doing experiments. And in fact, this is the uh, trademark of uh, a theory that all the consequences of this theory should be validated by experiment, which, by the way, uh, brings up the, the problem of many important uh, enigmas of today, uh, which are pure speculation and which have a very small chance to be validated by experiments. Now, um, because it's been difficult sometimes to observe all the consequences of some of the claims of, of quantum theory in nature and through experiments? Oh, uh, quantum theory, no, no. What, what, was, uh, what I was talking about, about speculation, are the big questions of nowadays, namely dark energy, uh, dark matter, uh, also the, the, the problem of the multiverse, uh, the, uh, the, the fact that we, would, we, we are living in, uh, in a world which is not, uh, our universe is not unique, but there are many, many other universes with whom we are not in uh, communication. And so all these, uh, they are uh, presented as theories, but they are speculations in the sense that uh, just by construction, it's impossible to verify if it's correct. And there uh, are disagreements as to how many dimensions there are. Oh, and also the problem of uh, dimensions, yes. Uh, uh, so in some theories, we live in 11 dimensions, and so four of them are, uh, uh, we, we are uh, sensitive to only four of them, yes. You say that one of the problems we face in advancing science is that human beings can still hold on to their pre-existing beliefs and, and biases. And you say that can happen with even the greatest minds. Obviously, uh, you're talking about Einstein in the case of this article. Yes. Uh, so the, the first mistake, and he admitted that he did his biggest mistake in, in that example. Uh, this is why I titled the two mistakes, because I added another, uh, another controversy he had for quantum mechanics. So the first mistake is quite well known. Um, Einstein invented the theory of uh, general relativity in the years 1912 to 1919, more or less. And he got the equation of the evolution of the universe. And uh, in this equation had a solution which was not stable, which was not, uh, which was not static. Namely, the universe was not just a very big sphere uh, with a constant volume, with the stars sliding around, but it was something which was evolving in time. And there, and actually, he was right. He was right because later on we will learn that uh, the uh, universe is expanding. But at his time, he had the conviction, and everybody was believing that, that the, uh, the, the, the universe 
the total universe was uh, constant, was static. And this comes, goes back to uh, the idea of uh, Greek philosophy. The Greek philosophers had uh, divided the uh, nature into terrestrial things, which are perishable, and sublunar, so um, cosmic things which are immutable. And um, in fact, they uh, already at that time, they tried to find the constituents of matter. And uh, they had found four elements uh, which constitute uh, the, all the terrestrial objects. And uh, they found that the constituents were uh, air, fire, water, and earth. Uh, a little bit like today, we uh, say that matter is constituted of uh, 12 uh, elementary uh, constituents uh, named quarks and 12 leptons. And so they have these four elements. But for the rest of uh, the universe, namely the, the cosmos, uh, they, uh, since uh, the, the cosmos had such a very different property of being immutable, they had to invent another element, uh, which they called ether. Actually, this ether later on came back in the history of science in the 19th century to understand the propagation of light, but that's another story. And uh, Galileo was the first uh, looking at the moon to recognize that probably the moon was made of the same elements as the Earth. Uh, but this idea came up long, 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 uh, for, for, for a very long time, all over uh, the Middle Ages. Aristotle was the philosopher number one, and he had decided that the universe is immutable, the cosmos is immutable. And, and only uh, Earth is perishable. What? And Earth is perishable, but the, uh, yes, the sky yes, yes. is immutable. Yes. But he died in 322 BCE. Had nothing come along for nearly 24 years to lead scientists to question that? Uh, after all, we had the telescope. And then you point out that in 1054, the Chinese noticed the appearance of a new light in the sky, although no European document mentions it, despite the fact that it probably was could have been seen everywhere for several weeks. It was a, a supernova, a, a dying star, uh, and the remnants of it can be seen today as the, the Crab Nebula. So um, how come that, uh, as brilliant a man as, as Einstein, uh, wasn't even thinking about that when he was uh, when he was arguing his point. Well, um, I'm not sure he knew about the Crab Nebula this, at that time. Well, it was visible, but uh, it was maybe not known that uh, it was the remnant of a supernova. You know, supernovae are very rare events. We we see about uh, one supernova by century at the naked eye. Uh, actually, and there was, you, we had one 33 years ago, didn't we, in, in 1987? Yeah, in, sure, sure, 1987. And it was a very important, especially for myself, uh, who was working with neutrinos, because for the first time, uh, the, uh, the two experiments on Earth uh, could uh, uh, demonstrate that uh, supernova uh, explodes, explodes by giving a lot of uh, neutrinos, and these neutrinos were seen. So uh, a supernova is extremely rare, uh, and uh, 
but it's it's the sign that something happens in in the sky. The sky is not static. The sky is not just uh, rotating peacefully. Uh, now we know much many uh, more more events which are more dramatic than the supernova, for example. Uh, uh, um, black holes uh, which uh, coalesce and uh, giving uh, uh, gravitational waves, etc., etc. So, in any case, wh- what I gave this, uh, I gave this example just to show that uh, people were really thinking uh, for for many, many centuries that the cosmos was immutable. And uh, Einstein, when he found his equation, the solution of his equation, he uh, tried to find a solution which was, uh, which was static. And so he introduced a new uh, quantity, uh, which, called, uh, which is called the cosmology, uh, cosmological constant, uh, in order to stabilize the solution. And then later on, uh, he, then Hubble found that the uh, uh, universe is expanding, and he said, oh, I did my biggest mistake. In because he had said he because he said I refuse to believe in the beginning of the universe. So uh, when Hubble just demonstrated in 1929 that the universe is expanding, uh, that must have been very embarrassing for Einstein. Uh, he, as you say, he said it was his biggest mistake. Yeah, yeah, uh, and. Uh, uh, so he, uh, he he obviously dropped his cosmological constant, and the irony of the fact is that we are talking back to a, a cosmological constant to explain why uh, the, the the expansion of the universe, which was uh, supposed to be uh, uh, slowing because of gravitation, and in fact mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 recent recent twenty years old uh, data. Uh, um, demonstrating that uh, the universe, the expansion of the universe is accelerating. And this is the reason why uh, we have to add a new component, this dark, famous dark energy. So the Because the the expansion goes against what what we normally think of as as what would happen a big bang everything go, goes uh, moving very quickly and in time it slows down well it should it should uh, if uh, if you have but the, the opposition happen but th- there is something uh, beyond gravitation and um, in fact nobody understands exactly what what's happening uh, but uh, what we see is that the uh, universe is expanding in, a, in an accelerated way. Uh, and uh, for that, you, you need some field which uh, uh, is, uh, uh, is um, filling the whole universe, the whole volume of the, of the universe, but nobody, and there is no theory yet uh, to understand this. But the, My what guess, I wanted uh, to say, the, 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 the cosmological constant uh, which Einstein introduced at the beginning and then dropped, has reappeared. But it's a very different cosmological constant. At the time of Einstein, what, what he wanted to do was to stabilize uh, the, the volume of the universe. And in fact, as far as I understand, the solution was not quite uh, stable. Uh, and now it's a very, very different cosmological constant. 
My guest is Francois Venucci, and this is Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM. Well, the early 20th century was an exciting time for physics because quantum mechanics was developing at the same time as, as uh, relativity. Wasn't Einstein skeptical about some of the key lessons of quantum mechanics, even though he uh, was a major contributor to it? Yes. Uh, so, first of all, what is quantum mechanics? It's the uh, the physics of the infinitely small scale at the level of elementary particles. Now, we we know four different forces, four fundamental forces in nature among the the constituents. One is gravitation, and that's the one of Newton, but also of uh, the relativity. Uh, due to the uh, the attraction of masses, uh, but we have three other um, uh, forces at the level of the particles, which are the electromagnetic force, the weak force, and the strong force, and these are uh, quantum forces. Uh, this means that they are quantified. Uh, the 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 exchanges due to these uh, forces are quantified and so are, are done in little grain of energy uh, and not continuously like seemingly gravitation. And, and so it's true that um, Einstein was almost one of the, uh, the founder of quantum mechanics, although <laughs> quantum mechanics date back, dates back to um, 1900. Um, in a paper by Planck, uh, who really invented the quantification of energy, uh, but the, the, the interpretation of the photoelectric effect by uh, Einstein gave a great boost to the idea that the light is not only a wave, as it is seen by uh, interferences, etc., but it's also a stream of particles, a stream of photons. A photon is a, a, a grain, a particle of uh, carrying pure energy. And, uh, and so his interpretation of uh, the photoelectric effect was a, a great step forward uh, in, uh, for, for quantum mechanics. But then the, the theory really developed completely um, outside of him with uh, Niels Bohr, Heisenberg, Pauli, Schrödinger, um, Dirac. And he did not, he, he, he was quite suspicious about the, uh, the lesson of quantum uh, mechanics, which is that the world is not following the pure determinism. Uh, by determinism, what, what, what do I mean? Uh, gravitation is deterministic in the sense that uh, if you uh, throw a ball, you can predict exactly where the ball will end up. It's not true for an electron. If you send an electron uh, through um, some uh, structure, uh, the electron will end up in a point. But if you throw exactly the same electron, uh, a, a second electron, it will end up in a different point. And if you, uh, uh, if you have a thousand electrons, they will, each of them uh, interact or give an impact which is in a different place. But the, 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 the very interesting fact is not, it's that uh, 
the, the trajectory of these electrons seem to be completely random. It's random at the level of one electron, but if you take one million of uh, them, then you will see some figures, some very characteri uh, characteristic figures, which are called diffraction or uh, interferences. And this means that collectively, the electrons are following some kind of determinism. Actually, it's a little bit like in, uh, in the society. You know, if one day uh, I want to get out, um, depending on the weather, I can go to the cinema, to the, movie, to, to, uh, to the museum. Or, but wear a mask, or, please. And, and, and then, uh, so it seems to be completely random at the level of, uh, of the society. But at the end, you know that there will be the same number of people uh, going to the cinema, going to mm. the museum, etc., etc. So uh, I call this collective determinism, and uh, uh, it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's uh, randomness, but it's not noise. Noise would be some uh, distribution which has no meaning, while the uh, quantum randomness gives a distribution which has a meaning because looking at the figures of interference, for example, you can reconstruct the structure uh, through which the uh, electrons have passed. But how does uh, Einstein's contribution to this field in 1905, the interpretation of the photoelectric effect as being a collision between electrons and photons, uh, how does that work within what you're discussing? Oh, uh, because, well, in his case, that was the, the beginning of quantum uh, mechanics. So just showing that the light is not only a wave, but it's, uh, it, uh, it behaves as a, uh, a stream of particles. What, what is the photoelectric effect? It's uh, when you illuminate uh, a piece of metal, uh, you, you get out some... Uh, electricity, some electrons getting out of the surface of the metal. Actually, uh, if you if you walk uh, on a, on a summer day, if you walk near um, um, some surface, some metallic surface, if you touch the surface, you may get some uh, uh, some uh, uh, electric shock because the electrons are just getting out of the of the surface, and this is. Uh, uh, the, the, the light uh, does this. So he, in, he in, did the, the right interpretation and he invented the, the word uh, photon. Uh, but then he didn't pursue, he was working on his relativity. Uh, he did not pursue these, uh, uh, these things and he was very much against it because the consequence of uh, the, all this theory is that the world is not deterministic, but it's probabilistic. What we can, uh, what we can predict is not the, the trajectory of one single electron, but we, we can predict only what is the probability that an electron will get at a certain point. And this is, uh, uh, this is uh, formulated by the the famous uncertainty principle of Heisenberg. How did he and, react to Heisenberg's uncertainty principle? Well, uh, he uh, he, he tried. 
he 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 tried to he he fought against this idea that uh, you know that's that's his famous sentence god does not play dice with the universe he had the idea and and this i trace it i trace this idea uh, to also to greek philosophy uh, to plato uh, for whom uh, the thought human thought was had to be ideal, independent of uh, uh, contingencies of uh, of, of uh, reality. Uh, so it, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful idea. Uh, he was he was thinking that the uh, uh, human intelligence could explain the universe. What is the universe? And Heisenberg demonstrated that mm. at a certain point there is some level of reality which transcends our uh, understanding, which is beyond what we can understand. And, and, and uh, uh, Einstein really uh, tried to invent all possible uh, um, ways out of it. And in particular, there is a famous effect, which is called the EPR effect. Uh, and it was, uh, uh, it was quite... Uh, quite a, a, a very interesting effect, the, the fact that if you have two photons which are produced together, uh, one for the, the, the two are liberated, they are separated, they go at the velocity of light, and uh, nevertheless, they communicate one to the other, even if they are separated by a long distance. This means that the reality at the level of elementary particles is no more local, localized, but it extends over uh, a, a large volume. And this he didn't want to accept. Well, and, it's hard for uh, me, I, I'm not Einstein, but it's hard for me to really uh, ex understand that concept, even though uh, I'm assuming that it's correct because it's become basic to modern physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it goes against all of my way, intuitions. It goes against, uh, you know, the way I, I've experienced the world. And I'm assuming that that's the same was true with Einstein, who very much was basing what he said uh, on, on how he saw the world, but also on Aristotle and Plato, who, who, who um, had yeah, really influenced uh, the way the people saw the world. Well, uh, I, I call it his second mistake not to have believed in uh, this reality which is beyond our understanding. I must say that the, the proof that uh, quantum mechanics was correct uh, came after the death of Einstein. It's in the, in the years, uh, mm -hmm. I think, 64. Uh, the Einstein died in 55. It's the years in 64 that uh, a, a theorist... Uh, Bell, uh, Mr. Bell at CERN, uh, invented a way to check the validity of quantum mechanics and of this indeterminism. And uh, then experiments were done and proved that quantum mechanics was correct. And quantum mechanics, again, tells you that we cannot understand uh, everything at the level of the elementary particles. Uh, the, the, the theory is just able to give the probability of uh, uh, occurrences among uh, different possibilities.
Recently, a team of researchers claimed to have achieved quantum teleportation using individual electrons. I wonder how Einstein would have reacted to that. Well, uh, I, I must say, I, I don't know the details of this. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's the fact that you, you can communicate at the velocity which is higher than the velocity of light. And this is what bothered Einstein, because uh, Einstein, uh, in, in, in Einstein's mind, uh, all communications uh, require the exchange of uh, information through the exchange of, uh, of something, of uh, a particle, which is uh, essentially a photon. But this photon can travel at the velocity of light. And uh, uh, these experiments have proved that you can have communication which seems uh, to go faster than light. Uh, hmm. Well, it's been the, uh, the stuff of science fiction. We have Beam Me Up Scotty, where people are, are teleported. But uh, uh, up until now, uh, nobody imagined it could happen. On the other hand, uh, didn't quantum te teleportation or quantum entanglement, which allows particles to affect each other, even if they aren't physically connected, isn't that a phenomenon that was predicted by, the Albert, Ein by Albert Einstein? I, I didn't understand you. Can you repeat? Well, well, I was wondering whether quantum teleportation or quantum entanglement was a phenomenon predicted by Albert Einstein. It allows particles to affect each other, even if they aren't physically connected. Yeah, well, the, this quantum entanglement is precisely the, uh, the experiment which proved that Einstein was uh, uh, wrong in not admitting uh, the, the consequences of uh, quantum mechanics. Uh, quantum entanglement, what, what does this mean? Uh, it's an experiment which was done uh, with uh, uh, radioactive sources which give two photons uh, at the same time. And these two photons are produced back to back, so in opposite directions. One goes east, the other one goes west, and they go, obviously, at the velocity of light. And uh, each of them uh, is, uh, evolves according to Schrodinger's equation, according, according to a deterministic uh, equation. But uh, at a certain point, you measure one of them. The other one is uh, uh, on the other side, very far away. You measure one of them, and the measurement of this photon will uh, have consequences on the measurement of the other one. It, it, it gives information on uh, the state of the other one. And this is why uh, Einstein was so, uh, was so contrary to, to, to this uh, idea, because uh, it seems that there is communication which goes faster than the velocity of light. Uh, it, it's, it's extremely complicated. The experiment was done first, I think, in Paris, uh, over uh, 12 meters, but then it was repeated over kilometers, and uh, it's just, uh, it, it always was uh, completely in agreement with the, uh, uh, the, the predictions of quantum mechanics as seen by uh, the, the people, Le Bohr, Heisenberg, etc., which are called the, the school of Copenhagen. 
I have to take a little break here. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. The world of science is my game. Albert Einstein is my name. I was born in Germany. And I'm happy to be here in the land of the brave and the free. Yes, I'm happy to be here in the land of the brave and the free. I'm really enjoying this conversation with Francois Venucci, but uh, but I have to take a few minutes to talk to you about something else. I have to ask you, our listeners, to consider contributing to this station to help us weather the storm of financial problems that this pandemic has brought upon us. We need every one of our listeners to step up right now and go to our website, give to wbai.org. That's give and then the number two, wbai.org, or call 516-620-3602 to help Keep this show and this station on the air. Again, the number 516-620-3602. Our website is give2wbai.org. And unfortunately, many of our longtime supporters have been forced economically to pull their support, which is why we're asking anyone who's able to, at this time of crisis, to, to please step up and, and make a contribution of any amount to help keep Community Radio and London Lopez at Large on the air and coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And you can do that right now, again, as I said, by calling 516-620-3602. You can support the station without having to shell out a lot of money at one time by becoming a WBAI buddy. Uh, they are listeners who contribute $10 or more each month. whatever they're comfortable with, to help keep us going and to show their support for what we do on the show. Anyone who signs up right now to become a BAI buddy will be invited to join me and nine other listeners for one of several teleconferences we are calling My Dinner with Leonard. You'll be able to ask me or any of your fellow listeners anything you like. It's a great way to support the station during this difficult time and also to have some fun. But we'll only be offering this until the end of this week, so time is running out. Again, uh, oh, and, and, and there's a good reason to become a sustaining member. It allows WBAI to be assured that it'll have some income next month, the month after, the month after that. You can plan for the future. Cash flow is really important uh, in, in planning out basic things like paying our rent, paying for the antenna, paying uh, the engineers, uh, and just paying, paying for mail and things like that, telephone bills, uh, our electric bill. So uh, we really hope that you will call us at 516-620-3602 or go to our website, give2wbai.org. Uh, whatever level you're comfortable donating at, the important thing is to step up now and show that support so we can continue to bring you these long-form interviews on topics that we hope will be of interest to you and you don't hear much about elsewhere. And and a big thanks to all of our wonderful listeners who have already contributed during this drive. Listeners like Joseph DeSalle of, of Manhattan's Upper West Side. Thanks so much, Joe. And like Joe, be sure to make the contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And thanks to all of you who who will. Uh, and now we return to Francois Venucci, Professor Emeritus and Researcher in Particle Physics and Specialist in Neutrinos at the University of Paris. We're talking about 
the uh, among other things, what's in his article, Einstein's Two Mistakes Beyond Science. Now, um, you note that within the process of scientific method, there's still a stage that's not completely objective, which is what leads to conceptualizing a theory. Can you explain? Yeah, uh, as I said, the, the, the process of research starts with uh, observations, and then you have to conceptualize a law. And like uh, Newton, for example, what, what did he have as observation? He had the, uh, the, the motion of the moon and uh, uh, falling of, uh, of a stone. Uh, and he imagined this force, uh, which was an attractive force between masses. So this is conceptualizing the, uh, uh, the, the, the observation in order to get a theory. Uh, and, and then with this law, you look at, uh, in all cir circumstances, uh, you apply this law and uh, you, you, you measure the uh, effects which are predicted. Now, uh, in uh, uh, what, what uh, so? Uh, wait, wait, wait! I just let me say that we re we recently did a show about the people who went out and looked at solar eclipses to prove Einstein's theory of relativity. You oh, actually oh, sure, sure, sure. No, well, that's the uh, very famous. You, you do need to see, yeah. in nineteen nineteen. Yeah, yeah, sure, mm. sure, sure. Uh, no, no, but. Uh, conceptualizing is to invent, to imagine uh, a law uh, in order to explain the phenomena which are observed. And there uh, you have to, you, 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 the, the, the process is supposed to be completely objective. The, 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 uh, the idea is that the nature uh, has its well-defined law independently of the, the, the person which looks uh, at, the, uh, at the phenomena. Now, uh, this is being objective, and people say science is objective, and it's to be uh, differentiated from uh, subjective, which is personal. And the convictions uh, are, are subjective, and should, they should not enter into the process of research. But then, the, in the conceptualizing and uh, these, these so-called mistakes are already some kind of prejudices uh, which, which are personal and so which are not objective. Now, in the conceptualization, um, it's in, 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 in normal, in day-to-day -day, uh, words, this is called intuition. And what is intuition? Uh, now, it's something which happens in the brain. Obviously, I don't know what, what's going on in the neurons. Uh, I'm not a biologist, and I suppose nobody exactly understands what's going on. But as a physicist, I know that there are four different forces, as I explained before. And uh, it's not gravitation which gives you intuition. Uh, it, it, it's... Uh, probably impulses, uh, which are of the electromagnetic uh, kind. And electromagnetism is a quantum force. So it is, uh, by nature, it is a, a, a quantum, uh, uh, a, a quantum uh, uh, experience in, in the brain. And 
I explain intuition. It's a metaphor, obviously. I say intuition is a kind of shortcut between neurons. It's something which is not objective. And uh, why does it come at a certain, uh, you know, uh, at my age, I have quite often insomnia. And, and I, uh, uh, I, I listen to what I'm thinking and uh, it's uh, all dark, it's all silent, so uh, my, my senses are completely uh, neutral in the business. Hmm. And then there, there are some ideas which pops up uh, in the brain, and you don't know why, it seems to be completely random. And some, sometimes, some of the ideas are very fertile, and uh, they, they, they lead to something interesting. And... Uh, the, the laws of physics are coming from this process. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, uh, Einstein himself said, uh, I forgot when, but uh, he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. I think it was uh, an answer to Edison. Edison, at a certain point, when Einstein did a, a very uh, uh, successful trip to uh, the United States in uh, 19, around 1920, after Eddington uh, proved that uh, the, 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 the light was bent uh, during an eclipse. Uh, and Edison said, oh, this Einstein. Uh, hmm. And he asked him, do you know what is the speed of uh, sound? And Einstein, who didn't know, uh, said, well, I, I don't have to know, it's in the books. And mm -hmm. he said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And, and imagination is precisely what has co I consider as something similar to uh, quantum randomness, something which pops up, uh, you, you don't know from where. And, uh, and, uh, and so I had this... Uh, uh, this, this paradox at the end of, of the paper saying that uh, Einstein, who is the example of an um, imaginative physicist, uh, did not believe in, in, in randomness, while randomness is at the source of intuition, which is the, the beginning of uh, all creative, uh, uh, creative uh, uh, facts, uh, both in science but also in art. So but he did engage in those thought experiments, and you would have thought that he would have uh, appreciated the the other approach. But uh, was Einstein, uh, this brilliantly inventive free spirit, still unable to free himself from his biases? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I suppose, well, again, uh, I, I see what was his behavior. Uh, in front of uh, quantum mechanics. Now, again, uh, his, his uh, prejudices are quite respectable. Uh, again, not only because they uh, trace back from Greek philosophy. Uh, his prejudices, the, the fact that he believed that God doesn't play dice with the universe, which means that uh, uh, there is no... Uh, there, there is no... Uh, no randomness, uh, because he was convinced that the human thought, uh, the human uh, uh, intellect was able to understand exactly what is the universe. And Heisenberg 
responded. And he said, no, physics can only say how nature reacts uh, in front of given circumstances. So uh, Heisenberg was uh, at, at the level of uh, geniuses. He was at the same level as Einstein. Uh, uh, he, he, he was very pragmatic in that sense. And he was much more modest uh, to, uh, uh, to, to accept that physics could not answer all the questions uh, of the universe. Unfortunately for Heisenberg, he also got involved in politics, and uh, that has kind of stained his his legacy. But that's a whole other matter. Um, well, uh, you know, I, I just translated a book, Einstein und Heisenberg, from from German. My my German is uh, quite quite uh, uh, quite small, but uh, I'm impressed by your English. And he wrote the article oh, well, in French. Well, you, 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 have, uh, you have good, good programs to translate now. You know, it's, it's just a question to put it in a kind of scientific language, so it's not so difficult. And I must say that between Einstein and Heisenberg, also Einstein did the political, uh, had a political role. Heisenberg, mm. in, 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 in what I read in that book, uh, Heisenberg tried to slow down the program of, if this is what you are thinking about, uh, the, the slow down, the, to slow down the, the, the program of uranium enrichment. Mm -hmm. and, and Germany was very far from uh, uh, having a bomb. Uh, actually, uh, also the effort was quite minimal. Uh, the Manhattan Project involved, if I remember right, something like 200,000 people. Uh, in in Germany, there were only uh, four or five uh, groups of uh, uh, four or five professors to get around. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, not, uh, it was not a serious. And, and Heisenberg, Heisenberg, from the point of view of, well, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to, uh, to, to judge he Einstein as a man. <laughs> It's not. It's not. It's not so <laughs> uh, so genius. <laughs> he had his problems. He had his problems. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so hasn't the the history of physics over the past century or so revealed that both Einstein's theories and quantum mechanics can live together peacefully? Oh, that's the great problem of uh, of today. Uh, you know, again, with the uh, four forces, four different forces that we know, three of them, the, the one which are uh, dealing with the uh, elementary particles, three of them more or less have the same kind of properties. And so they, they can be unified. Uh, unified means that uh, uh, they, they respond to the same frame of behavior, if you want. And so they are all quantized. Uh, quant uh, the, 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 uh, a quantized force means that the force is communicated by the exchange of a little particle of a, of a, of a quantum of energy. And uh, uh, on the other hand, gravitation seems to be completely in a different uh, mm -hmm. game by itself. Uh, but now the, uh, the, the, the great... Uh, um, uh, 
the great effort of many theorists nowadays is to try to unify gravitation uh, with the uh, quantum, the, the quantized forces. This means this is called the uh, uh, quantum gravitation. But according to their calculations, it's only going to happen at uh, energies which are energies which were uh, only once uh, in the universe, namely at the moment of the Big Bang. So these are really very speculative. And uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it occupies a lot of people, but they, I, I don't know exactly where they are going. Well, Professor Venucci, we have very little time left, but I wanted to ask you about something totally separate from this conversation. CERN has approved plans to build a $23 billion super collider. Uh, and uh, there are some scientists who are saying uh, that's a lot of money to spend on something that isn't going to teach us all that much more. It would be better spent on finding solutions to global warming and climate change. What do you think? <laughs> this is... Yeah. Um, well, am I putting you on the spot? I'm sorry if yeah, I am. Sure. You know, fundamental research, uh, actually, I'm writing another paper. I don't know if it will be translated into English about the limits of knowledge in physics. Mm. Um, we, we are now, you know, I, did, I did all, almost all my career at CERN. CERN is the European Center for Particle Physics, which has become a world uh, center right now with uh, people uh, from everywhere, uh, with these um, with this big accelerator uh, which has discovered the the, the Higgs boson in, in mm -hmm. 2012. Uh, now, obviously, CERN is looking for its future and uh, trying to uh, imagine what it could do in the, during the 20th uh, 21st century, uh, and obviously. It, uh, unfortunately, in particle physics, you know, the, the great rule, if you want to go to, um, to study uh, smaller dimensions, you have to uh, get higher energies. It's, uh, it's, actually, it's a consequence of Heisenberg's uh, uncertainty uh, uh, relations. Uh, and, and so uh, you have to build instead of this accelerator, which is 27 kilometers in circumference, something which is even bigger. They are talking of 100 kilometers, etc., uh, etc. Et um, personally, I think, unfortunately, that for this type of research, but it's also true in in uh, cosmology. In cosmology, started uh, small, but it's as big as the. Uh, experiments in particle physics nowadays. Uh, you have collaborations of uh, thousands of people uh, trying, to, trying to look for, 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 for just one, uh, uh, trying to, to, to solve one enigma. Now, I understand that for, for billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah oh, uh, it, it's difficult to, to swallow, maybe. Um, you know, I'm a physicist. I, I don't want to, 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 to be negative. I think fundamental research is something which is in, in the nature of uh, man. Uh, you have to know what 
is uh, in the environment, in our environment. It's, it's, it, there is a force in, that, in us which pushes us to always go beyond what we know. Now, unfortunately, in particle physics, the next step is uh, uh, we are at the level of 10 to the minus uh, 18 meters of dimensions of the, uh, the constituents that we know now. The next step would be the strings. People are talking of the strings. Uh, and the strings are at the 10 to the minus 35 meters, so 17 orders of magnitude smaller than the present constituents. And just uh, uh, a simple calculation shows you that uh, you, you would have to build uh, an accelerator which has the dimension of the galaxy. Obviously, <laughs> it's an impossible task. So I understand that at a certain point, uh, maybe we will have to say, or, or to change direction, but I don't know. I don't know. My guest has been Francois Venucci, professor emeritus and researcher in particle physics and specialist in neutrinos at the University of Paris. We've been discussing his article, uh, just recently translated into English, called Einstein's Two Mistakes Beyond Science. It's been a really great pleasure talking with you today, Professor Venucci. Well, thank you so you, much. You know, I'm, I'm 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 very much honored to have been invited here, especially because I looked on the internet at your show and I saw that uh, I'm succeeding Catherine Deneuve. <laughs> yes, uh, among others, Jean Moreau, <laughs> uh, a whole bunch of great <laughs> and great directors as well. But that's a whole other matter, some other show. Thank you again. And, and, and that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast, and you can find links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. Don't forget to... Uh, Check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to write to me, write to leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just a few moments to ask you to become a supporter of the station. If you care about Leonard Lopate at Large and all of the other great programs on BAI, we need your help to keep this whole thing alive. Please step up right now and make a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable with. And as I mentioned earlier, if you become a BAI buddy right now by making a monthly contribution of $10 or more in the name of the show, you can join me and fellow listeners on one of several special teleconference events we're calling My Dinner with Leonard. So please Please go to our website, give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 right now to support the unique in-depth content we bring you on this show. And please make sure that you make your contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. We, th we thank you for your support, and I hope that you can join us again tomorrow when I'll be talking to the filmmaker and a number of the subjects of a new PBS documentary called Unsettled, Seeking Refuge in America. See you then. <laughs>